Hello, hello. My name is Christine. I am the director of the Student Disability Commission here from the University of Washington, and you are listening to the On A Roll podcast. I am here to bring you stories about disability. What exactly is disability? What are the experiences of people with disabilities? What research is happening around disability in the world today? We will try our best to bring you new perspectives, some jokes here and there, and maybe you'll learn something new along the way. And in terms of accessibility information, each podcast is released on Spotify, and a webcast version is available on our YouTube channel if that's a better form for you. The transcript is also available on our website at sdc.asuw.org. And since this is our first podcast, I will go ahead and introduce myself. Hello, my name is Christine Liu. I use she, her pronouns. I am a current senior at the University of Washington. I'm studying psychology and disability studies with a minor in American Sign Language. Both of my parents are deaf, which makes me a CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults. I am also mad slash mentally ill identifying. Um, I'm the director of the SDC. I don't know if I said that already. Not quite sure. Um, and I've been in the SDC for about three years now, and I am a disability activist. And my guest today is the lovely Devin Sheehan. Hi, um, I'm Devin. I use she, they pronouns, so whatever works in a sentence. I'm majoring in history, political science, and law societies and justice at UW. Um, I am visually impaired. I am also mentally ill identifying, and I have a learning disability. So. You know, I'm the entire spectrum of invisible disabilities, um, and I am the assistant director at the SDC, and this is my second year. Um, I was an intern last year, so that was fun, and now I get this position. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Devin is so freaking awesome, and I could not possibly think of a better guest to have for our very first podcast for the SDC. Um, so today we're going to be talking just generally about disability. This is mostly an intro for folks who are kind of entering this type of space for the first time and don't really know the, the verbs that we use or anything like that. So we're just going to really basically go over everything. Devin, what is disability? What would you define disability as? This is like a really tough question because there are so many aspects to disability. Um, so like the first part I would have to say is you have to identify as disabled. You can be disabled. However, like identifying with it is an important part of like being disabled and like taking on that identity. Um, disability can be anything from uh, like mobility issues, blindness, deaf and hard of hearing. Um, but then there are like the invisible disabilities that are like things that you can't see. Um, so like mental illness and learning disabilities and like depression and PTSD and like stuff like that. Like disability is definitely something, it's not a bad word and it's not something that is like a negative, it has a negative connotation. It's just something you identify with. And it's something normal that's in society. Like disabled people exist. We are here. Uh, please count us in things. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the the ADA definition or the Americans with Disabilities Act definition, which is like kind of the more well-known definition, it's used in a lot of legal language, says a disability means you have a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity, which again kind of translates to you might have a disability and still not identify as disabled because that word carries so much um, connotation for a lot of people, which is what disability activists are trying to turn around. They're trying to, to make disability not this like taboo word that people use. Um, I yeah. almost don't like the ADA definition just because it's like, oh, like it impairs your daily life when like you don't get to talk about like the gain that sometimes disability can bring to your life. So I prefer it to be like a on a personal level definition of disability, but that's fair. We do need like a legal definition, whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of language, so I've kind of heard us go back and forth between disabled people and people with disabilities. What is the difference between those two and what what is better to use or in what situations? So this is like a, it's a personal choice. Again, like identifying as disab disabled, um, you have to kind of pick which one you use. So it's person-first language versus identity-first language. So like, um, a blind person would be identity first language versus person first language is like person who is hard of hearing, person with autism, uh, person with ADHD. Um, I mean, at UW, we definitely use the person first language. I think that's what we have coded in the books, but it really is specific to the person and how they want to identify. So I'm just blind or I just... I'm a person with ADHD. So it really depends on like your community and the identity that you have and which disability you have. Like I know people who are deaf or hard of hearing prefer to just be called deaf or hard of hearing. So they use the disability first instead of um, person first language. Um, I really think you just have to ask the person first just because like, you know, saying like a person with autism might be it might hurt them a little bit in, if they want to be identified as like autistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've actually, I had a conversation about this in one of my classes the other day where um, the professor was using a lot of person first language when it came to autistic folks. And I spoke up and was like, hey, actually, um, autistic people tend to prefer um identity first language. A lot of autistic self-advocates tend to prefer identity first, and that's been published in a lot of different sort of papers and op-eds and things like that from autistic self-advocates. Um, but a lot of family members and community members that are not autistic identifying tend to prefer person with autism, which is a sort of awkward back and forth between like people who sometimes serve as caretakers and the people themselves and sort of taking away agency in that way. Like I know um, Autism Speaks, that whole organization tends to prefer sort of people with autism as a way of separating the autism from the person. When in reality, a lot of autistic self-advocates are, are sort of with this mindset of, no, this is, this is a part of my identity. This is who I am. This isn't something you can just take away from me or, or cure me of in any way. Um, they much prefer to, to identify that way. But when I was talking with my professor, um, she, sent, she sent me back an email that was like, as a mother of a child with autism, and then dot, 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 which, ah, 
that again, like it just plays exactly what you said. She's like, oh, I'm a caretaker. Therefore, I would prefer to use person first language. But like, what a, what about her kid? Like, what does her child identify as? And don't you want to like accept their wishes? Like, don't you want to make them comfortable? Don't you want them to be proud of who they are? Like, ooh, that is a line that a lot of, I mean, a lot of caretakers use it that way. I mean, like my parents, when I was disabled or when I first became disabled, they were like, oh, she just can't see. She can't see, which is like, you know, a person who can't see might be using glasses or contacts, but like, I'm blind. So like, say that I'm blind, not she can't see. It's, it's interesting how like they try to soften it for others, but it's, it's not, it's not nice to us. We would prefer it to be like, you know, what we are. I am blind. They are autistic. Like, just please respect our wishes. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I think I have two thoughts on that. And one is that I, I would never want to like invalidate the parent's experience because I think that's something that, that I haven't experienced myself. And of course that, that is its own sort of community and experience and everything. Um, and people are going to have their own opinions. Absolutely. I just, I sincerely hope that when that child gets older and if they do decide to start getting involved as a self-advocate within the autistic community, that their parents will begin to respect those wishes of the language that they use to identify themselves. Um, Cause that's, that's where it gets really tricky is like once the child is able to kind of choose that for themselves, is the parent actually going to go with it? Is the parent actually going to support that decision? Um, and then my second thought around it was just language is so delicate and it, it, whatever language we use, even if it's something as simple as disabled people versus people with disabilities, the connotation around those things is so different and it builds into our sort of idea of what disability is. Is it something that we should talk about or is it something that should remain separate from people? People first and then disability is something sort of added on or is it something that should be considered as a part of someone's identity and a part of their experience in the world? Um, how do we treat it? And that's, it's so built into the language which I think is wild to me. People with disabilities doesn't sound as good as disabled people. Cause I mean, I mean, you think of every other part of like a diversity factor and it's like a black person, a Latinx person, a, you know, trying to think a blonde person. Um, gosh, I'm missing so much other identity, a woman. Um, but then you say person with disability. So it's like, they are a person, but they are also a woman. So I feel like it just, it also, I mean, it doesn't flow as well either, but again, that's the whole thing of like, check with the person first, see what, see how they want to identify, see if they like being, you know, said as like, I am disabled or they are disabled instead of person with disability. Just check with, check with them first. Yeah. Just take that one little teeny tiny step and say, hey, how, how do you prefer to identify yourself? And that's, it's not that hard. Um, definitely not something we're used to doing, I don't think, but not that hard. Um, same as checking with someone's pronouns. Just check to see how people identify. Like I know a lot of folks in um, who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, not everyone, of course, but there's, a, there's quite a few who prefer the person first language prefer a person with intellectual and developmental disability um, as opposed to intellectually disabled person. Um, 
and that it just depends on the person and community and, and their experience and all of that is super valid. But yeah, exactly what you're saying. Just ask. Jesus, like, it is not that difficult. Just ask. It gave you a lot of pain and a lot of, like, potential screw-ups. So, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's that's something I want to talk about in a later podcast too is disability microaggressions. Like when people don't ask and then they sort of skirt around the word disabled, how does that make a disabled person feel? And I wanna I wanna really delve into those um, experiences in another in another podcast. But with this one, um, let's shift on to models of disability. Can you tell me what the deficit framework is? So I'm gonna be completely candid. I definitely learned them as like the medical model and the social model, but they are all one and the same, unfortunately. So the deficit model or the charity model or the tragedy model and the medical model, they're all viewing disability as something bad or as something that kind of needs to be fixed. Like, oh, we can cure you of your blindness. We can cure you of your um, mobility issue. Um, It sees variation as something bad and therefore needs to be fixed. Um, The difference between like the medical model and the tragedy model and the charity model are like, the medical model is how can we fix this with medicine? Tragedy model is, oh, it's so unfortunate that you're disabled, like your life is going to be so different and so hindered. Um, Side note, it's not. Um, And then the charity model is like, oh, it's so sad, like, how can I help you? Like, I want to start an organization around, you know, the tragedies and the and the upset. I don't know what the word is. Like, how unfortunate it is that a person your age has this kind of disability. Like, it's going to impact your entire life. Um, yeah, deficit framework. We personally don't like it, but I can see how, like, a medical community would prefer this model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we think about too, just kind of as we're going about our daily lives, thinking about like advertisements for charities, for example, how many advertisements for charities do you see that have like a wheelchair user that's a kid on the front of the cover? What is that? What is that doing exactly? That's charity model. That's it's saying, oh, the poor disabled children. We need to we need to take care of them. We need to give them money. We need to, you know, structure their lives for them as if they're not capable of doing it for themselves. And it's sort of, yeah, <laughs> strong eye roll from Devin. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of taking away that sense of of independence and autonomy that disabled people should have and do have. Um, yeah, it's it's wild to identify examples of that in our lives. Um, my so both of my parents are deaf and the, the number one response that I typically get when I tell someone that my parents are deaf is, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, um, I don't know what you're sorry for. I really don't. Like, I don't see it as a bad thing. They don't see it as a bad thing either. It's just kind of the way that they are. I don't know my life any different and they don't know their lives any different from what it is. Um, so this whole I'm sorry shtick is not not helping anybody. It's actually a joke within the CODA community. Um, to what is it I think it's whenever someone's telling a story and they go oh like my parents are deaf everyone else in the crowd who's a coda just goes oh so sorry (laughs) because it's a because it happens so often to us and it's it's 
such a common experience, um, which sucks. And it's, it's so tragedy model. And like, I would much rather have someone come up to me and go, wow, that's amazing. Like, tell me about your experience or, or you know, are they part of the deaf community? Do they sign? Like, I would much rather have someone be interested and excited about that identity than wanting or wishing that it was different for me, you know, assuming that it was such a bad experience for me. Yeah, like, don't give me your pity. Like, it was a cool upbringing. Like, how many people do you know who have deaf parents? Like, that's cool. Like, it's not, not unfortunate. I got lucky. Like, I'm bilingual. I was raised with, with American Sign Language and English, and that's such a lucky life to live for me. Like, I loved it. It was great. I had a great time with them, and my parents are fantastic. So, like, I'm not mad about it. I don't know why anybody's sorry. <laughs> But that's that's the instinct. That's what people's first reaction is always like, oh, that must have sucked. That must have been awful for them. You know, and I hear people all, all the time, too, going like, I don't know what I would do if I was deaf. I don't know what I would do without music. I don't know what I would do without, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, there's, there's a lot. I don't know what I would do without sign language. It's a beautiful language. I don't know what I would do without that. My mom is often talking about how nice it is that she's just able to go to sleep whenever she wants like there is no noise boundaries like she's not worried about the train that's passing by like there there's a lot of things that are great about it too and that brings us into the next framework as well um can you tell me about the diversity framework which is what we tend to use yeah so diversity framework or cultural model or social model um that's kind of viewing dis disability as like a part of the world. Like it's not a problem. It's something that people have. It's something that people are lucky enough to get um, if they happen to live into old age or if they do just become disabled. Um, I would just say that you're very lucky for doing that or for having that experience. Um, and like, it's just a part of life. Like it's not something that should be marginalized. It's not something that should be pitied. It's not something that's unfortunate it's just life and therefore if people with disabilities exist um why don't we create the world to be inclusive of those people because you know they're everywhere i mean if you're lucky enough to be disabled like in old age like wouldn't you want things to be accessible for you i mean i was lucky enough to become disabled at seven so i'm like okay like this is great like the but like the world isn't built for me. So with the social model and the cultural model and the diversity framework, we need to, it's like disability is not a bad thing and we need to create things for the disability community so that we can be included. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that description. Um, I think something I think about too is there, there is for a lot of disabilities, think like chronic illnesses. Um, for a lot of disabilities, there is pain. There is pain involved and that's very real. And like, I don't ever want to dismiss that um, because that is a very valid part of someone's experience. And, and we're not trying to say like, disability is all great because the experiences of disability are so, so varied. For some people, it may be the best thing that's ever happened to them. It may be the identity that they hold closest to their heart. And for some people, it may be something that ends up in a lot of hospitalization or, or ends up in a lot of actual pain. And that's true. And I don't ever want to like pull that away, but I think it's important to distinguish what pain is inherent to the disability itself and what pain is caused by society not being accessible. So for a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, that 
typically is not a painful experience. What is painful is coming into a room and having everybody ignore you or not interpret for you or not being able to understand when there are alarms going off, not being able to have emergency procedures that are accessible. Like if a plane is is crashing, having no idea what's going on because there's no interpretation, there's no captioning, there's no, you know, that that is painful, but that is something that we created as a society. That's something that didn't have to be that way. Um, so I think it's it's interesting to distinguish those two and they do kind of weave in and out of each other, of course. The only unfortunate part is that society is not going to be accommodating or become accessible. And like, yes, pain is associated, but like there is also pain with people using the deficit framework and that just causes pain for us because we just want to, we just want to vibe and society doesn't let us just vibe. Yeah. (laughs) We just want to vibe. Like, just let us, just let us live. vibe. Yeah, exactly. Like I... Um, as a person who identifies as matter mentally ill, like I have days where I'm not getting out of bed. Like, absolutely not. I know I'm supposed to go to class today. It's not going to happen. It just isn't. And that, of course, in some ways is a painful experience psychologically. What is more painful than that, though, is not being able to access my classes from bed. I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to just sit and go, okay, I'm still here. I'm still learning. I'm just in a place that's comfortable for me with a heating pad, you know, all of that. Like I, that's where I need to be. So it sometimes weaves in and out of each other. I think um, those experiences, I also, I took a class a couple of years ago um, that talked a lot about stress responses um, and talked a lot about how um, especially marginalized communities, those with marginalized identities end up experiencing more stress, obviously discrimination, you know, like even just, um, environmental racism like that's a whole you know pollutions and blah blah blah. there's so much there um that that then ends up causing disabilities so for when you're looking at it like just as the experience that a disabled person has in the world the stress that my parents have gone through because they are deaf and the world is not accessible to them has caused them to develop more disabilities or has caused them to develop more painful things. Um, Which is why they kind of intertwine with each other. I think like coming into a space that is not accessible, of course, is going to cause a lot of psychological trauma and that leads to all sorts of other things. Um, So it's tricky. The solution, make everything accessible, (laughs) please. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on that? The one example I can think of is, um, so like when I was a kid and I was going to camp, I loved archery, like archery was my thing. I think I thought it was Katniss before I even like read the Hunger Games books. I don't know. I loved archery, but there were times when the counselors would kind of dote on me to make sure that you know, like I was being safe and that I could see and that, you know, I was, you know, getting everything that I needed. And they were just, they were doting on me, which is not what I wanted. It's like, you're creating something where like, I know that if I participate in archery, I'm just going to be hovered over the entire time. And therefore I'm not going to want to do something that I like, or like, I mean, that's not something that needs to be accessible. That's just changing people's minds. But like, 
I mean, like even going to paintball, like my friends will go to paintball and like, I can't because, you know, I don't have any depth perception and I can't see anything. It's like a completely unfair advantage for me. So like that creates a painful memory of like, well, I can't hang out with my friends because paintball is just like either dangerous or like completely inaccessible for me. So like the idea of my friends just leaving and me having to like be behind is like, that's kind of the pain that comes with it. It's not just like, oh, I can't go because I'm disabled. It's also like, I can't hang out with my friends because I can't participate in this thing because it's inaccessible or it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then it's it's sort of that responsibility should be on your friends to choose an accessible activity or to choose, you know, something that, that everybody can participate in. And that's something that like we as part of the Student Disability Commission have started to to figure out is like, okay, how do we choose team bonding activities that work for everybody and and are accessible for everybody? And I know that was a challenge um, even coming into my first year was like, okay, how do we create meetings, even just meeting spaces that are accessible to everybody? And usually the answer is move online. It's not, it's not meet in person because that isn't accessible for a lot of folks. Um, anyway, that's kind of a, that's a trail off thought, but, but point being social model doesn't just mean like changing environments. It also sometimes means changing your attitude about things and paying more attention to who is being excluded in this moment and how can I stop that from happening? Yeah. Inclusivity. It's Inclusivity. a lot easier than you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't remember who told me this. Someone did at some point, but um, you're talking about inclusion and talking about how like inviting, making sure that everyone is welcome is not just keeping the door open because we often think of that as like, we don't discriminate. The door is open for everybody. Everybody can walk in. Right. But as soon as you do that, it's you're you're classifying being inclusive as sort of this passive action as as like well we don't we don't exclude anybody Every, everybody can walk in on their own on their own accord but then are you actually looking at like the structure what if your your metaphorical door has a set of steps leading up to it what if it's in an inaccessible space what if it is an inaccessible activity that could be more accessible in that case then inclusion has to be something that you actually work towards, something that you have to change things for in order to get true inclusion. Um, and I think that's something that, that a lot of organizations don't really understand. Um, like I know there's a class at UW where um, the, the class as a whole is given like this pot of money essentially to give out to um, nonprofits. And these nonprofits will come in and do presentations. And part of the, the questions that they ask is always like, are you accessible? Like, is accessibility something that's on your on your mind? And every single one of the organizations is always just like, we're so inclusive, like, we're focusing on this, 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 but they don't ever think about, are the services you're giving out actually accessible? Like, you're, okay, cool, you're, you're giving out supplies. What about supplies for folks who can't access those supplies? What about, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, so again, that just kind of goes back to the same point of like, inclusion isn't just something we can we can say that we are by not excluding anybody. <laughs> it's also something we have to work towards, and we have to make sure that there is ramps everywhere, and then the door is accessible to everybody. There is a push button for said door, metaphorically, you know, like all of those things. There's so much to to think about with that. 
you actively have to keep the door open. That's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking. It's like, oh yes, the door can be open, but you actively have to make sure that it's open. You actively have to work towards keeping it open because it easily can close. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm not saying that like being inclusive to everybody is is such an easy thing to do. Like it's not the easiest thing. I think people, implicit bias is real. It's so real. Um, and so there's there's a lot of work that has to be done in that. But I think disability often comes as like a last year effort of, oh, well, it takes money so we can't do it type of thing. And it's no, that should be something that's built into your budget from the first place. That should be the first thing that's built into your budget is to make sure that everyone can access your services straight up. Um, yeah, I have a question for you. Um, what... If you could envision a world that was completely social model, what would it look like for you? Well, the earth would be flat. <laughs> that is, and I know that's not a reality. However, there would, stairs wouldn't exist. It would be great. No stairs. I mean, yes, you wouldn't get like your booty workout, but I mean, like you can go up a hill. Same thing. Um, or we can create machines for that whatever. Um, you know, everywhere, if it's multiple stories, it would just be an elevator. Um, I mean, stairs would have to be there, but the elevator would be accessible, would be fireproof. Um, just so that, you know, disabled people can get down. Cause I've heard stories of people who like the fire alarm goes off and people with disabilities can't because they shut down the elevators, which is, that is a, Oh, it's own podcast that I will just rant on. Um, trying to think there's like braille available there's braille menus there's spoken menus um you know everybody has everybody can learn asl in high school or in elementary school like that is something that is offered um maybe i mean like in addition to spanish and french but it's definitely something that should be taught um you know everything has lights and alarms are like flashing um in addition to the sound um so that blind people can use it um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think. There's so many things that we need. Um, everything would be online. I mean, of course you can have things in person, but like the ability to record and for things to be broadcasted would be easier. And like, you know, it wouldn't be, ha it wouldn't have to be something that people like actively have to think about. It would just happen. Like our Pinaco, like that would happen everywhere all the time. Um, even in like the meetings that are all in person, like someone just sets up like their laptop like this and then they just record like it, like that would just be common practice. Um, I mean, safe spaces and quiet spaces would be in every single building just in case they're like somebody got overwhelmed or there was too much stimulation. Um, trying to think like there wouldn't be negative portrayals of people with disabilities in the media. Um, also, people with disabilities wouldn't be put up on pedestals. Um, I was talking with my boyfriend's parents last night, and they were like, oh, we love the good doctor. And I immediately said, oh, well, the good doctor is ableist. So we should, we don't stand the good doctor. Um, so TV shows like that wouldn't be, like, a thing. Um, oh, my God, there are so many things. I'm, like, overwhelmed. With <laughs> um, my gosh, everything would have straws um i understand that there's a lot of like save the turtles 
Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, but straws are needed and straws are necessary. It's um, like the, the plastic production by corporations far, far, far outweighs the plastic production that is caused by us using straws. Like, <laughs> it, I mean, like, I think also in like a completely social model world, um, corporations would take into, a, into account what they are doing that may cause a disability. I think yeah. corporations would have to be responsible for the amount of air pollution or the amount of pollution they're putting into the oceans or the amount of CO2 emissions they have. Um, you know, if they're burning trash, who's around them? Um, you know, like making sure those things are not by people and they're not around marginalized communities. Um, as it so often is. Yeah. Yeah. And it causes the disabilities like asthma and blindness. And I mean, like even the volume of those things can cause partial deafness or hard of hearing. Like there's so many things that, that can just cause disabilities that are related to corporations and corporations are like, Oh no, we're good. See, we are trying to be nice to the environment (laughs) when like, people are literally being harmed this is a humongous question oh my gosh yeah um, another thing I low think counters too. <laughs> what low was counters that? uh low counters in bathrooms um oh counters you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah stalls um you know everything would be able to be like changed and moved as people needed them um you know people who have dwarfism wouldn't be like a comedy bit in comedy shows um oh my gosh there's so much stuff like the world basically needs to be wiped off the earth (laughs) society needs to be re-implanted is what i'm thinking because everything needs to change everything needs to just go under construction yep it's true and so much of it is based off of our attitudes like it's all of the built environment is was created from people and those people at some point or another either didn't think about disabled people when they were creating whatever environments or decided that it wasn't important enough um, to adjust those environments for them, which is, ah, and like, of course, there's always going to be conflicting access needs. Um, There might be an environment that's super accessible to, to a person with one type of disability. And then that same environment won't be very accessible for other folks with different disabilities. And that's something exactly as you were saying, like let's make environments that are flexible that can move and adjust to whatever's needed in that space at that time. Um, Which I think is so, so great. Yeah, I would love a social model world. Oh my goodness. And I think there's other, there are places in the world that are leading the charge on some of those things on just being more flexible and and allowing people to take space and time and do what they need to do and allowing environments to match wherever people are and what they need and and actually taking it seriously too when people when disabled people say that their needs are not being met taking it seriously because a lot of people just kind of brush that off or or just oh well I'm sorry there's nothing we can do about it or you know there is something you can do about it there's something you can do about it there's always a fix (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um always literally always a fix um yeah I think I I wanted to ask you you touched on it a little bit um but if you feel comfortable doing so just do you mind talking about your own experience of like identifying as disabled um and just disability in general 
Absolutely. I love telling this story because I know that there are definitely people like me out there. So like, I would love to be this person that like shares that this is like something common or that it happens. So I have cancer. I have a pediatric um, neuroblastoma glioma. Um, and when I was seven years old, they went in to like do surgery on it. And it basically caused me to be completely blind in my right eye. And I have no peripheral vision in my left eye. Um, so throughout, I mean, that's when I became disabled. However, that was never a term that was in my repertoire in my language. Um, so throughout my life, my parents would kind of use the like, oh, she can't see. Oh, she needs a little bit of help. Like she just needs big text. Um, but it was never something that was explicitly brought up as a disability. It was always related to, oh, she's had chemotherapy. Oh, she's, she has cancer. Like you need to accommodate her because she has cancer, not she literally can't see the board. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure like my dad was never the biggest fan of like that word disability because it is a taboo word and people don't like to use it when in fact, like it's not that big of a deal. It's please, we're reclaiming it, use it, please make it commonplace. Um, so then my sophomore year in the fall quarter at UW, I took a class with Heather Evans, who like is my favorite human on earth. Um, and I took intro to disability studies and she started talking about like the social model and the deficit model and like the way that caregivers might talk about like a lot of the stuff that we covered in this, in addition to like inspiration porn and stuff like that. It was a very broad class, but it kind of clicked in my brain like, oh my gosh, for literally 19 years of my life, I have not used this word disabled to define myself because it has always been a bad word, or I'm not disabled, I just need a little bit of help. Or like, I just need a little bit of an extension. Like I'm not disabled, like I, and I, on top of that, like I pass, it's an invisible disability. You can't see that I'm blind. It's not something that, you know, you can immediately tell about me when you walk on the street, when I'm walking down the street. Um, so that's when it kind of clicked in my brain. I was like, oh, I'm disabled. Oh, first thoughts were, oh no, like, oh my gosh, I'm a part of this marginalized community. Why, why, why am I like this? Um, and then it was, why didn't my parents use these words around me? Why weren't my parents supportive of this? And then it was, okay, that's in the past that shaped it. What can I do now? Um, this is an identity I have and how can I learn about it? How can I, you know, make sure that people are being advocated for, um, and, you know, how do I like embrace it and accept it? Um, which is kind of where the SCC came in because the former assistant director, Camille Hatwig, um, was in my class and she was talking about the internships. And then I was like, that's a good way to learn things. That's a good way to understand that I'm disabled and that there are other people disabled around me. And I was like, okay. So that's kind of where this started. But like every day I learned something new and every day I like identify ableist things. And I'm like, I literally was completely like turned off to this idea for 19 years of my life. Like where, how, like, why wasn't this brought up? So that's kind of the reason why I like telling that is because like a lot of caregivers don't like to use that word because they think it's a bad word. Like disabled is a bad word. It's, it's negative. It's alienating, whatever. Um, but when you finally realize that you are and you identify with it, of course, you're going to go through that, like, 
no, I'm not denying it. And then being like, oh my God, like this is such a bad thing. And then realizing like, no, it's fine. I've been able to do my entire life with it. Like, yeah, I've had barriers. Um, but how do I live my life with this identity? And how do I continue to be an advocate? Which I think is a lot of the part of being disabled is like, how do I advocate not only for myself, but for other people with disabilities? So yeah, I like telling that story just because it was like, I had to wait until I was like, you know, early adulthood to realize like, yeah, for like my entire life, for over 10 years, I have not even known what this word means. So um, yeah, fun story. If you have questions, let me know because I can totally elaborate on it. There's lots <laughs> of different ins and outs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've heard the the term before of like coming out as disabled. Um, I've heard a lot of people use that. Do you, do you feel like that's something you would identify with? I don't, I feel like that's taking away from kind of the, the identity and the kind of like the process of identifying as LGBTQ. Um, and I don't want to take away from their experiences, but that is a good term for it because I like realized, and then I had to start using that word around my parents. And my parents were very much like, no, you're not disabled. Like, that's a bad word. Like, don't say that. And it's like, I can see that as being parallel. Um, so I mean, yes, but also like, we should come up with our own term for that. Yeah. I just I have don't want to discredit. Yeah, absolutely. I have to go back and read exactly where I heard that from. Um, Cause I think I'm pretty sure there are other people who've like written about that experience and, and have, yeah, I just need to look at what's actually out there so far. Um, my last question for you is what is one thing you wish society understood about disability? We're not going away. We are, even if you want to fix us, even if you want to find the, the cures, um, we're not going away. We are here to stay and um, accommodate us and be open to accommodations. Yeah. I love that so much. Devin, you're so great. I appreciate <laughs> you so very much. This was fantastic. Thank you so, so much for being here. We appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, and thank you all so much for listening to the first On I Roll podcast. We hope to see you soon. If you want any more information about the ASUW Student Disability Commission, which is what we are from, please visit our website at sdc.asuw.org. Hey.